this morning with us. This first Sunday of Advent, sharing communion together, um, surely a sign that heaven and earth are overlapping, right? Time is his. The calendar is his. We turn our hearts towards his when, the, when he tells us, when he calls us in. And first Sunday of Advent gets us longing for his appearing, that the calendar is his. How could we ever look at bread and wine the same? It's sacramental now. It's, it's sacred. Heaven has gobbled it up. It's, heaven has taken it over. It, it points beyond itself now. It's sacred in that way. Heaven and earth are, are overlapping. So it is good to share moments like that together. I want to I actually invite you into a moment my wife and I experienced a couple weeks back. We were, uh, we were picking up our kids from school. And we had some extra time because we were sort of in pickup line purgatory. You know how it takes a while. So we're just sitting there and uh, having to start flipping through these pictures that were still in our, our van from this past summer when we went on a trip out west. And as I was flipping through the pictures, this song came on. It's this wonderful song that uh, we actually were listening to sort of on repeat while we were driving out west this summer. And so this song came on and we're looking at these pictures and it just, it, it reminded us so strongly of driving through the valleys of Yellowstone or across going to the Sun Road or, or, or along the winding canyon of Utah as we made our way up from Wyoming to Montana. And both of us, I think, basically simultaneously felt this very conflicting feeling of thankfulness and longing at the same time. We, we felt joy. We, we felt we, our, 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 our laughter just sort of bubbled out. And then actually, at the same time, tears. It was very difficult to put our finger on exactly what was happening. Maybe, maybe it was kind of like a moment where heaven is breaking through. Maybe it was kind of like that. C.S. Lewis actually calls that, he calls that joy. Uh, if you read his uh, spiritual biography, his autobiography called Surprised by Joy, this is what he says about it. He says, listen, all joy reminds. It is never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. That's exactly what I was feeling in that moment. Now, I may sort of pause for a second and ask myself if, if C.S. Lewis is right to call it joy, but he certainly has put his finger on something, a longing, a thankfulness and a longing at the same time. I bet you've felt it before. I bet you have. Maybe it was when you were walking your college campus 20 years on, and you just kept remembering, and there was a longing, a sense of belonging there on that spot. Or, or maybe it was... Uh, the waves at the beach after having not gone there for the COVID years and then getting to return and hearing that crashing sound. And it just was exactly what your soul had been wanting. Or, or maybe it was driving past your childhood home when traveling for the holidays once upon a time. Or sitting in the immensity of a cathedral and feeling very small but also very loved at the exact same moment. Maybe it's like Christmas Eve when the candles are lit and you're singing Silent Night. And that kind of warmth is inexplicable. The wind through the trees on a crisp fall day or the crunch of those leaves under your feet when you walk along the path. 
Maybe it's Bach playing in the background for you during a feast. Or the birth of a child, honestly, any child. Or attending a, a friend's wedding. You have this, this feeling, it wells up. Maybe you could put your finger on it. C.S. Lewis calls that joy. You know, actually, Kant noticed this too. <laughs> Emmanuel Kant. He, he noticed this, this, this pervasive feeling that popped up everywhere he went. Uh, standing in front of a masterpiece. For us, it may be a masterpiece we've seen a thousand times in a textbook, and then we stood in front of it, and it felt overwhelming. It, 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 it brought multiple emotions to the surface all at once. Uh, for Kant, he noticed it in the architecture of Europe, how it could seem actually perfect, or in the structure of, 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 the, of the symphonies of the great composers. And he wondered at it. He said, why is it that it feels the same? Why is it that standing on the mountaintop and looking over the valley feels exactly the same as having a picnic in a meadow? Why does that feel the same as listening to the great composers or sitting in the immensity of the... Why, what is this feeling? What C.S. Lewis would call joy, Kant went searching after. He, he thought there must be some transcendent principle that unites all these things together, and if we could just discern what that principle is, we could reproduce it over and over and over again. And he's not alone in having gone searching for it, identifying this feeling. You can look at uh, many agnostics out throughout the years, and you can notice how they go searching for, what is this feeling I've got? I think of Bart Ehrman, a pretty famous skeptic, and he says, I have this overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of thankfulness, but I have no idea who to thank. Or, or Carl Sagan, who says, I feel in awe, but where do I direct it? Back to the stars? They couldn't put their finger on it. It, it doesn't surprise me. They're, they're looking for a principle. And of course, they're experiencing this, what we're thinking of as joy, what we're thinking of as heaven overlapping with earth. Of course, they're experiencing it. They are God's creature living in God's world, even if they don't admit it. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that God makes the rain to fall on the fields of both the righteous and the unrighteous. God's common grace is spilling out for all people to perceive. Not every single person finds the way that it points beyond itself, the way that, the way that joy is a signpost to heaven. Yes, Kant went looking for a principle, but it's not a principle he should have been looking for. It's a place. Or, or rather a person. He ought not to have been looking for it in, in, in philosophy alone. <laughs> he ought to have trusted the way it had been revealed to him that heaven is in fact overlapping with earth. It's exactly what he was experiencing, this thing that C.S. Lewis calls joy. All the sights and sound of heaven can sometimes break through. Maybe in the sacraments, in our worship, in a good conversation next to the fire. Heaven, in its sights and its sounds, breaking through. They are, in fact, overlapping heaven and earth. We've just finished reading 1 Peter, and Peter himself said it. In chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3, he said this, Listen, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Even the taste of heaven is breaking through this feast is already taking place. 
Peter says. And, and it's not as though Peter is the only one to have noticed it. In fact, even the people prior to the advent of Christ understood that heaven and earth were overlapping. Look at Psalm 16, for instance, and you read through verses 9 through 11, and you see they have this strong sense that heaven and earth, in fact, do overlap, and there is an experience, sometimes ineffable, sometimes inexplicable, sometimes hard to describe, but it's real. This is what the psalmist says. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will still rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand, this lasting sense. The way that happiness ebbs and flows is not rightly said about joy. An eternal sense where heaven and earth are overlapping, where something lasting is there to be experienced. And this is what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the way that joy is the sound that heaven makes on earth. He says, I experience it. You fill me with it in your presence. Maybe, maybe joy is not the sound that heaven makes on earth. Maybe it's all the sounds put together. Maybe it's all the emotions put together. Maybe C.S. Lewis is right to use this one word joy as a catch-all for all the emotions that we can hardly put our arms around when we talk about heaven and earth overlapping. The very goal of God, the very mission of God for heaven and earth to overlap, it's how it was in the beginning. You and I have read the story. We know that there's a way things were. Pastor Sammy alluded to it. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Things as they should be, heaven and earth overlapping on this mountain garden of God. And of course, the brokenness that comes along. But it doesn't banish heaven from earth, it does not. Read the stories and see where the writers are drawing our attention to the ways that heaven and earth overlap and how it actually fills them with joy. Let them tell you about the mountaintop experiences they've had. Let them describe the tabernacle to you and its imagery pointing back to Eden and forwards towards the Jerusalem that is to come. Let them tell you about the temple and all the heavenly imagery and how actually earth is God's footstool and the heavens are his throne and they're overlapping. Maybe even in the law. Maybe this is why David can delight in the law. He sees it as places where people's obedience are actually bringing heaven to earth, overlapping with earth. Places where God's justice replaces man's injustice. Where God's self-sacrificial living replaces man's selfishness. Read the Ten Commandments through those eyes where there would be these little slivers of obedience where people's actions would bring heaven to bear in a world that was full of violence. But never has heaven and earth more fully overlapped than in Jesus. It's in fact exactly what the gospel writers want us to know. Think of the announcements that are made at the advent of our Christ. Think about the way the angels appear. Uh, they call this a thin place. I think the Irish do. 
a thin place where, where the veil is so, so thin between heaven and earth, where you actually can taste, feel, hear heaven. And when the sounds of heaven come bursting forth, what do they sound like? Well, they sound like joy. Joy is born in heaven. Joy is born in heaven. People who experience it here and now don't always see it as it's, uh, where its source is in heaven. But, but denying the source does not negate the effect. Joy is born in heaven and it comes bursting forth. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2 when the angels visited the shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, heaven overlapped with earth, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the sights of heaven. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Heaven has overlapped with earth more fully and in us. And this Messiah that was promised in the town of David, the Lord, he walked about claiming something rather strange. We read it this past year in the book of Mark. Jesus says repeatedly, the kingdom of heaven is near. What else could he mean other than the fact that heaven and earth were overlapping right there in front of them? Maybe you see it profoundly in the transfiguration. When they climbed the mountain and on it, they saw heaven overlap with earth. Jesus transfigured and his friends from heaven on a nice visit. Right? Heaven and earth overlapping, and Jesus goes about bringing heaven to bear on all sorts of brokenness. Where there was sickness, he brought health. Where there was heartache, he brought joy. Where there was blindness, he brought sight. It's the very thing he tells John the Baptist when John the Baptist is feeling sorrow in the jail cells. Jesus says, no, look, remember the sights and the sounds of heaven on earth. I've been bringing them to bear. You've seen it for yourself. Even there in prison, you can experience it, heaven overlapping with earth. Clearly, Paul and Silas would just a couple of decades later when they would sing psalms and songs of joy, even in the midst of pres in the prison, while heaven was overlapping on earth, while joy was emanating. They were so joyful and so free that when the prison doors swung open, they didn't even bother to move. They just kept on worshiping. Heaven and earth was overlapping for them. And this is what Jesus wants for you. It's what Jesus wants for me. It's perhaps a way to describe exactly what he was on about, what he came to do. Look at John 15, verses 10 and 11. A passage, by the way, evoked by the team that brought together the Christmas program for this year called Joyful. And what does it say in this passage? Jesus talking to his disciples in the last moments, just before the Last Supper, really. He says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I have brought God's love to bear on earth. Now remain in my love. Abide in me, he says elsewhere. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. Your obedience will reflect heaven on earth. 
It will, it will expand the garden, so to speak, expand the kingdom of heaven. We like to call it the gospel's edge around here. Push it ever outwards. This obedience is a sign of heaven overlapping with earth. And he says this in the end. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Yes, the presence of Jesus and our obedience to him and our imitation of him, this is bringing heaven to bear on earth. This joy is the sound that heaven is making on earth through us. But Jesus takes a nod at the fact that their joy may be, at present, incomplete. Still experiencing sorrow. To, to double back to First Peter, it's how he talked about it too. He talked about having joy in the midst of sorrow. What does he say for instance, in chapter one, verses eight through nine, as he's writing this letter from the persecuted church to the persecuted church, what does he say about joy? He says, listen, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Remember what I felt when the song came on and we were flipping through the pictures taken by our children or of our children of this trip where we remembered that the sky still catches on fire out west with the sunset glowing off the mountaintops. Remember how inexpressible it was. And think of it now as merely a signpost to the kind of joy that God intends for us. Let it lead you to the source. Follow the river back to where it began. It's emanating from him, I promise you. It is. It flows forth from his heart. It is inexpressible, and it is glorious. He says you're actually already receiving it. Now, in the midst of your sorrow, you're already receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But it might be right for us to probe that a bit deeper and say, how can this be? How is it that sorrow and joy can lay alongside one another? Well, let's look at Romans 12. Let's look at Romans 12, 15, where actually they are put side by side in the scriptures. Romans 12, verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Let me read it in its more full context. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. There are, there are these places where earth still stands against heaven. There are these places where, where heaven has not yet come fully to bear. And we are his ambassadors and we get to join him in, in doing the good and glorious work of bringing heaven to bear, joy to bear on these dark places. There are these places on the earth where, where our brothers and sisters are still persecuted, still cursed the way Jesus was persecuted and cursed. And Paul says, listen, in the middle of this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Live with the culture of heaven in mind. Do not be proud. That's this earth. But be willing to associate your, yourself with, with people of low position. That's the way heaven does things. Who, did, uh, who received the, the good news of Jesus' advent? 
this little girl, her name is Mary. And, and a day laborer, his name was Joseph. And some shepherds banished to the hillsides. Heaven associates itself with the lowly. Paul is saying, live with the culture of heaven in mind. Let heaven and earth overlap in your, in your activity, in your very being. Yes, we can see very clearly that Paul wants us to bring heaven to earth here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Resound the joy that God is bringing to bear, is filling you up with. Joy is the sound that heaven makes on earth. But what about the mourning? What about the sorrow? If I could say it this way, I would say sorrow is the sound that earth makes in heaven. Joy is the sound that heaven makes on earth, and sorrow is the sound that earth makes in heaven. Think of Exodus chapter 2. The people straining under the weight of slavery. And they cry out. It doesn't even say they cried out to Yahweh. It just says they cried out. And then God moved. It made a noise in heaven. Or perhaps we could have started even earlier. We could have gone to Genesis 19. And we could have seen where actually God visits Abraham on his way down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what has called his attention to Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, a great cry has gone up. They are lamenting. I have to see what it's about. I have to do something. Or when God sent Jonah out from behind the safety of his walls, out from behind the safety of his borders and said, no, we're building bridges. And you have to go to Nineveh. And you know why you have to go to Nineveh? They are lamenting there. Their hearts are breaking. We have to do something about it. Yes, sorrow is the sound that earth makes in heaven. So when we rejoice, when we worship, we're making the sounds that heaven makes on earth. And when we honestly express our sorrows, we are making the sounds that earth makes in heaven. Either way, can you see it, children? Earth is overlapping with heaven. Or it would have been way better if I had said heaven was overlapping with earth. Because that's the trajectory of it. That's where we're headed, where God's presence more and more fully will fill the earth as he fills his people. His justice replacing our injustice. His self-sacrificial love replacing our selfishness. Maybe you've experienced those wonderful, joyful moments of redemption where, where heaven won yet another victory. I can point to a few moments where that happens, even in the scriptures. Like Psalm 126. If you look at the Psalms, there's plenty of lament. As a staff, we actually looked at Psalm 137 just about a week ago, and we noticed how they were lamenting on the banks of the river in Zion, or sorry, in Babylon, they said, we don't have any songs to sing. We're being taunted. But they were restored. <laughs> Let's listen in at the sound their restoration made on earth. As, as we look at Psalm 126, it's actually a very short psalm, but it may be my favorite. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when he brought them back from exile, when their lament, which had made a sound in heaven, was met 
with God's restorative joy, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. He's won yet another victory for them. Just like the Exodus, actually. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Like those who sow with tears, we will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Yes, we know this is happening more and more fully. This is the promise of heaven, that heaven will eventually fully overlap in our hearts and in the entire cosmos. That's actually what John 3.16 says. We say, God so loved the world. The word is actually, God so loved the cosmos. He's going to fill the entire universe with his glory. Psalm 19 says it's already, the stars are already singing his praises. He's going to fill it all with his presence. Maybe he'll start right here. Maybe he'll start right in your heart. What does Galatians 5, 22 through 23 actually say? It says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. What the Spirit is going to do in you is going to bring heaven to bear in your very heart. So we look forward expectantly, expectantly, just like all the generations before us. That's actually what Advent is all about. It's about waiting. It's about carrying joy in the midst of the darkness. It's why we light candles singularly, one at a time, until Christmas Eve and then Christmas, and then we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. But for a great deal of history, they could only look forward to that moment. C.S. Lewis reminds us we can look both directions. What did he say about joy? He said, it's never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. And here we are on the first Sunday of Advent thinking about what is about to be, about to be filled more fully, more fully with joy at the coming of our Lord. For now, we look forward expectantly, just like Isaiah did. Like Isaiah 25, where he talked about the mountain of the Lord being where heaven and earth overlapped and a feast was shared and sorrow was finally done away with and only joy remained. What did he say? He said, on this mountain of the Lord, almighty will appear a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This will happen more and more fully, and it will happen because of Jesus. You might recognize the echoes of Isaiah 25 when you read in Revelation. He will wipe away every tear. There will no longer be a need to mourn with those who mourn. All that will be left will be to rejoice with those who rejoice, to let it spill out of us 
like the laughter of those returning to Zion after so many years of exile. Let the joy that fills you spill out and make the sound that heaven makes on earth. Here's how John describes it in Revelation 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It doesn't mean abandoned, destroyed, and a new one made. It means actually a renewed heaven. He means heaven and earth overlapping the way they were always meant to. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, the sea in Scripture is, is, is chaos. It's, it's that which opposes God. And Jesus showed us in Mark chapter 4 that he can silence it with a word. And here, God banishes it. There's no more sea. There's no more resistance to his joy and his will. There's no more misidentifying the source of all that is good in our world. There's no more sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, overlapping with earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. In John chapter one, he says, Jesus tabernacled amongst us. Actually, in Revelation 21, he says, there's not even a need for a temple anymore because this whole place is Jesus' temple. With God and the Lamb, there is no need for a building. Heaven and earth are overlapping fully. There's joy emanating from all corners of the cosmos. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The old order. That which was replaced incrementally. When God resided on the mountain or used a cloud to remind his people he was with them or a pillar of fire or taught them songs to sing. How can we ever look at any of those things the same again? Music is his, time is his, bread is his, wine is his, the calendar is his. He's taking it all back. Even those inches of ground that would pretend to be a grave will be taken back. Every inch where joy will come with the morning, as the psalmist says. We'll recognize things for what they were truly meant to be and their source as God Almighty. It will feel an awful lot like joy, but with none of the sorrow in it. Like walking on your college campus 20 years on, but with no regrets in between. <laughs> like a song where every harmony is layered in just so. like a playground where no one scrapes their knee. The fullness of all things, the joy of the Lord. That's where we place our strength, as Nehemiah chapter 8 tells us. The joy of the Lord. I think it'll be a lot like coming home. That joy. What is now wistfulness will only be joy at, the point, at that point. 
Something that I think C.S. Lewis captures well at the end of his Chronicles of Narnia. You know the ones. The last one, the last battle. They actually step through the door and they're finally in Aslan's country, all of them together. And Lucy starts to cry. And Peter doesn't think that's a good idea. And Lucy says, I think Aslan thinks it's fine. But then the unicorn comes galloping by and he has a word for them. He says this to them. And I think it's the sound that heaven makes on earth, if only in part right now. He says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we sometimes loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. What does the psalmist say? Enter into his joy. It's what he has planned for you, is joy. And if you hear the whisper of it on the winds, don't let it go by without grabbing a hold. Follow the stream to its source. You may feel restless until you find your rest in him, but when you do, there will be only joy. He's the one that fills us with joy. And he plans on filling this entire cosmos with it. There will be no separation between heaven and earth. It will all be his. And it's already begun. Let's pray. Lord, we can be joyful in the midst of trials, knowing that you intend to fill us. Knowing that you have already begun with the fruits of the Spirit, with the advent of your arrival on earth, the way that you tabernacled among us, and the way that you're bringing your heaven to bear more and more fully and intend to wipe away every tear. We can experience that joy in you now. And we can pass it on to others. We can resound with joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Make that sound, the sound of heaven on earth. Lord, give us ears to hear. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.